We're going to study uh, the second part of Luke chapter 2. Of course, uh, Luke 2 has the, the classic story of the incarnation and uh, in verses 1 through 21 are those very, very familiar verses regarding uh, uh, the, holy, the, the, the angel speaking to Mary and, 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 and all of that. But to, this evening, we're going to pick up in verse 22. Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 22 through 35 of Luke chapter 2. And let me offer a prayer before we get started here. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be gathered with the saints this evening. And I hope you've maybe brought in some people that you're going to make saints. And uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. We thank you so much for the incarnation. We would be lost without your plan of redemption. Help us as we read the word. Help me as I preach. Uh, Would you please apply it to our hearts that would not be... Uh, built up in arrogance, but but in love. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, I'll begin with verses 22 through 24. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What I want us to notice in these three verses is Joseph's and Mary's care to obey the commands of God. And we see three things going on here where they abide by God's laws in the Old Testament. First, they obey the laws regarding purification after childbirth. Women were made ceremonially unclean by the blood flow at childbirth. In the Old Testament law provided that after the birth of a son, a woman would be unclean for seven days leading up to the circumcision, and that for a further 33 days, she should keep away from all holy things. And so Joseph and Mary and their piety wait the 40 days, the 7 plus the 33, before going to the temple in Jerusalem. We also see that they obey laws regarding the presentation of the firstborn male child, the presentation to the Lord. After the 40 days, Joseph and Mary and Jesus make the trip, assuming that they had stayed in Bethlehem, they make the approximately six-mile trip from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem uh, to consecrate, or in a real sense, to give their firstborn son to God. Now, why is that? Well, you'll remember that back at the time of the Exodus, the firstborn males of the Egyptians were put to death by the Lord's angel. But the Lord's angel passed over the firstborn, the firstborn sons of the Israelites. And after that, the Lord said in Exodus 13, to consecrate to me 
Every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. And so here they are obeying the law of the Lord. Verse 22, when the days for the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We also see them obeying the law of the Lord in that the law required a sin offering and a burnt offering to make atonement for a woman after childbirth. Let me read to you Leviticus 12, 6 through 8. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them, excuse me, yes, right. He shall offer them before Yahweh to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the, for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. And so Joseph and Mary abide by this law, requiring a sin offering and a burnt offering to make atonement for Mary after the flow of blood. Now, I do want you to notice this, is Mary's offering was that of the two birds. Did you, re- did you hear that when I was reading from Leviticus, it said, The woman is to bring a lamb and a bird, but if she can't afford a lamb, she can bring two birds. And so she and Joseph could not afford a lamb at this point. So in sum, we see their piety, we see their care to obey God's commands. Now verses 25 through 26. And there was, I'm going to move this up just a little bit. I hear the, the, the percussive sound hitting there. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is the only place in the Bible that Simeon is mentioned here. And it seems that he was not a priest. It seems that he did not have any special public distinction, yet some very special things are said about him. First of all, we learn about him that he was righteous and devout. He was an upright man. His behavior towards others was above reproach. He lived a blameless life. He was careful with his religious duties. But also, we read here that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the condition of Israel was pretty bad. The Jews did not have political independence. They lived under the cruel reign of King Herod. The voice of prophecy had been silent for how many years? 400 years. Many of the religious rulers, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were legalistic and they lacked mercy. But more than all of these were the power and the darkness of sin that still brought condemnation and death. And Simeon was waiting for the consolation, for the comfort, for the solace, for the aid for 
Israel. Now, in multiple Old Testament prophecies, there, there, there was spoken of a coming comfort, a coming peace, a coming joy. And, and these prophecies were associated with the coming Messiah and with the Messianic age. In fact, the Jews used the word comforter or consoler as another name for the Messiah. He was expected to bring comfort to the suffering people. Let me just read to you a couple of texts from the Old Testament. Both of these are from Isaiah, speaking of that coming comfort. First, Isaiah 41 through 5. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain he'll be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. And then here's another one later in Isaiah chapter 66. Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts. For thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Then you will see this, and your heart will be glad, and your bones will flourish like the new grass, and the hand of Yahweh will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant towards his enemies. With this consolation would come, just from these verses we've read here and from others, the love of God like the love a mother has for a child. The turning away of God's wrath, freedom from enemies, sorrow turned into gladness, wastelands turned into gardens like Eden. And Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. A third we see here, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, it appears from the way that's said that the Holy Spirit was continuously upon him. In the Old Testament, we read of the Spirit as coming upon people on special occasions, but a continuing presence is rare, and so Simeon's endowment was something special. And then fourthly, we read that it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know how, but in some way, the Spirit had communicated to Simeon a way that's not specified here in Scripture, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he was instructed, like one instructed by his master, that he must keep watch. Okay, now I'm going to read verses 27 through 33. And he, that is Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his mother and father were amazed at the things which were being said about him. So in fulfillment of the promise, the Spirit brings Simeon into the temple. It appears that he arrives the temple before Joseph and Mary and Jesus arrive. But then they do arrive. And Simeon is given special insight by the Spirit. He knows or recognizes. He perceives through the Spirit that though Jesus, not dressed in royalty, is the one who was sent from God. And he receives this child into his arms, and there he beholds in his arms the consolation of Israel. And he's ready to die peacefully now. He uses the language of a slave that's being freed, and it looks like he's thinking of death as he is released from a long task. He's no longer watching because this child has come. And Simeon blesses God. He offers up a prayer of thanksgiving. He's ready to die peacefully. And he is holding in his arms and seeing with his eyes, not just a baby, but salvation. Notice he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He recognizes that in this child, then this child is the one through whom God would save his people. And Simeon says here that the salvation that's going to come through this child is not just for one nation, but for all. He says this for the Gentiles. The Gentiles who've been in darkness will see the light of God in the person of Christ. They will have light They will have true knowledge of God. They will have holiness. They will have love. They will have joy like they have, like the nations have never experienced. But then also Israel will see glory in its truest and fullest sense when it sees this child and understands that he is the son of God. And salvation will not come just to a few righteous Jews. It will not be experienced just by the nation of Israel, but by all peoples that this plan of salvation is going to the whole world. And Joseph and Mary marvel at what they hear. They've heard wonderful things from Gabriel about the child. They've heard from the shepherds what the angel and a host of angels had proclaimed. But with Simeon's words, it's all the clearer clearer, that this child will have a universal impact for God. Now verses 34 through 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul 
to the end that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Simeon blesses the family. He invokes a blessing upon the benediction upon them. And then he goes on to prophesy regarding the child and Mary, what their future experience will be like. And he mentions coming struggle and suffering. Now, struggle and suffering for the Messiah are mentioned many times in the Old Testament, but this is the first time in the gospel accounts. Jesus is destined to cause the falling of many in Israel. Those who reject him, no ifs, ands, or buts, will fall. Jesus is destined to call the, cause the rising, of, the rising of many in Israel. Those who accept him will rise. They will enter into salvation. A person's relation to Jesus will be decisive in that person's eternal destiny. And Jesus is going to be a sign. He will point to God. His deeds and his acts will point to God. His life will point to the one who sent him, to his father. But as a sign, he will be opposed. He will be spoken against. He will be opposed by those who voluntarily deprive themselves of the salvation which God has offered to them, and they will perish because of it. They will be rebels. They will dash themselves against Christ to their ruin. And then Simeon says this, a sword will pierce your own soul. He says this to Mary. You know, probably in the Protestant tradition, we, we don't think about this maybe as much as we should. When Sidney and I were living in Ecuador, in the bank that we used, Banco Pachincha, there, there was a, a poster on the wall. And if I remember correctly, it's a picture of Mary, and she's holding her heart in her hand, and it's pierced. And of course, that must come from this, right? He is telling Mary that, she, as well as her son, will suffer deep anguish. The sword will pierce her soul. His suffering will not leave her untouched. And no doubt the hardest will be at the cross. And Simeon's words prepare her for the hard events to come. She need not expect that Christ will be received by people with universal applause. Jesus is not going to be acknowledged by his own. He's going to be rejected by the nation of Israel. The leaders, the priests and the scribes who hold in their hands the government of their religion will be his most determined enemies, and he will be treated with contempt and with outrage. But hearing these words now, I presume, would fortify her in the coming conflict and keep her from being just completely overwhelmed with discouragement and grief. I mean, she's got to be overwhelmed with grief, but at least maybe um, there was some measure of peace having been told this early on. And then also he says this, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed with Jesus and with the light of the gospel arising, persecutions are going to spring up concurrently. 
disclosing the affections of men's hearts, which formerly had been concealed. Christ, by his light, discloses everything, unmasks hypocrisy. He lays open the secrets of the heart. And in fact, John says he did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. And the parents of Jesus will cause a clear division between those who serve him and those who are hostile to him. Now, I'd like to make three applications from what we've just studied there. The first is this, dear friends, like Joseph and Mary, let's obey the commands of God. All right. Joseph and Mary were careful to do as God commanded. Let us be careful also. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, and you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be on guard to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall prosper your way, and then you shall act wisely. Jesus said this in John 14, 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And the one who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I too shall love him and reveal myself to him. And we read in 1 John 5, 3 this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Burdensome. They're not heavy, right? Now, the ceremonial commands that they're obeying there in this passage you know, have, have been repealed, but there are still plenty of commands, Old Testament and New, that we're called to obey. So let us be careful as they were careful. That's the first application. Second application is this. Like Simeon, let us see salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us look for none other. For the Gentiles, for the Jews, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let us look for salvation in the person of Christ and let us find our comfort, our consolation, our solace, our help, our relief and affliction in Him. Are any of you disquieted? Are any of you discomforted? Are any of you hopeless? Dear friends, as we look to the new year, we have a comforter. Now, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Dear friends, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And death is a vanquished enemy Jesus is destined to cause you to rise. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And for Simeon, the sight of, this, of the Christ 
while he was a child, had such a powerful effect upon him that he approached death with cheerfulness and composure. In dear friends, we know that to die is to gain. Now, I'd like to say to any here who may be here, who up until this point have rejected Christ, be warned that he will cause the fall of all who reject him. I beg you, do not speak against him. Do not oppose him. It is not safe to remain in unbelief. No one can have a neutral attitude towards him. One is either for him or against him. And your thoughts are known to God. And those who in their pride do not, who do not admit their need for Christ come to a woeful end. But those who humble themselves with confession of sin and faith in Jesus will be raised up. I urge you to come to him who consoles. And with that consolation that Jesus brings, you'll know the love of God like the love of a mother for a child. You'll know the turning away of God's wrath. You'll know of sorrow turned to gladness. And you'll know of the wasteland of your life being turned in something to something that is fruitful. Okay, and the third and final, final application is this. Like Simeon, let us watch for the coming Christ. Simeon, Sydney, I apologize. I should have brought a, 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 um, a tissue. Anybody got a tissue? I'm not sick at all. I get emotional when I preach and my nose starts to run. Paul had his thorn in the flesh. This is mine. And I share it with you. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. Look at this. I got In stereo. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Very nice of you. Maybe you can reimburse them a tissue when they get... We keep one of these on the pulpit. Boyd is German. It doesn't happen to him. I'm Irish. We're, 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 much, we're more emotional. I've got to tell you all a wonderful thing about your pastor. I inherited some land across the cove from Boyd when my mother died. Boyd called me on the phone one day and he said, Bill, I hear gunshots coming from your land. And so I think we were texting. And so I, I said, Boyd, would you mind just kayaking over there and checking on it? And Sydney said, Bill, he may take you seriously. I was like, Sydney, he knows that's a joke. And I called Boyd on the phone, and sure enough, he had taken me seriously. I said, Boyd, he said, I'm German. I do what I'm told. <laughs> but I thought that was very, I thought he had a real servant's heart that he even considered doing that. I mean, kayaking over to a place where there are gunshots is not the safest thing in the world to do. But he, he was willing. And I thought tonight, after we finish, we ought to all go over to his house and go to his back deck and take selfies and send them to him. That, that would be, that'd be really good. Okay. So thank you for the tissues. I appreciate that. Okay. So application number three. Like Simeon, let us watch for the coming Christ. As Simeon longed for the coming Messiah, let us long for Jesus' return and his eternal reign. Simeon watched. We must watch. 
Now, we're more fortunate than Simeon in that we live with the knowledge of Christ's first coming and His resurrection and ascension. Now, unlike Simeon, we don't know that we will see Him before we die, but we could. But we know that we, sure enough, eventually will see Him. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read this, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, what? Comfort one another with these words. Dear friends, fortify yourself to stay strong to the end. If you see the world opposing Christ with wickedness, know there's nothing new under the sun. But those who dash themselves against Christ are going to lose, right? But we don't want that for anyone. Prepare your heart to receive Him. And hear these words from first from Hebrews and from 2 Timothy. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And in as much as is it appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. And Paul, at the end of his life, and probably the final book that he wrote, 2 Timothy verse. Chapter 4, verse 8, he writes this, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Dear friends, let us keep watch for the coming Christ. I'll lead us in prayer.